guys. Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Ellie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. We were inspired to learn about the journeys of normal people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices, from physical to emotional to spiritual, to figure out what wellness means to them and what works for them. We aren't doctors or experts, just average ladies figuring out how to live our best lives while tackling topics all across the wellness spectrum. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Britta Bushnell, an award-winning childbirth educator, celebrated speaker, and specialist in guiding clients and audiences to revolutionary new approaches to childbirth, relationship, and parenting. Having done her graduate work in mythology, she uses a unique approach incorporating cultural mythology and ritual preparation to help individuals, couples, and birth professionals navigate all of life's transitions. Our conversation dives deep into discussion far beyond childbirth transition and is truly applicable to anyone navigating any of life's changes. Dr. Britta's fascinating knowledge of myth and fairy tale guides us into a conversation about human beings and our ability to create meaning in everything we experience. Please enjoy the episode. This episode is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. If you have listened to our episode with founder Carly Stein, then you already know how powerful Beekeepers Naturals products are. Beekeepers Naturals is a wellness company specializing in innovative nutraceuticals made from healing hive compounds and plant-based ingredients. Their mission is to improve people's health naturally and save the bees. Allie and I are absolutely obsessed with these products and have been using them consistently since December when Carly was on the podcast. So Allie, what is your favorite Beekeepers Naturals product? I love the Propolis Throat Spray. Mm. I have used it consistently through the entire winter and it's the first year of my life that I did not contract one head cold or sinus infection. Um, It's been my immune system's secret weapon, which makes sense since Propolis is basically the immune system of the beehive and has germ-fighting properties. What about you? I love the Propolis so much too, especially as somebody who always got strep throat and throat infections. It has it has actually changed my life yeah. completely. But with that said, my favorite product is the Bee Chill Hemp Honey. Bee Chill Hemp Honey delivers a powerful 28 milligrams of hemp oil per teaspoon so that you can find your bliss. Made with USA grown hemp, it is non-psychoactive and contains 0% THC. I sleep like a baby when I take it before bed and it seriously takes the edge off of my whole day. It also hits the spot when I'm craving something sweet after dinner, which is just an added bonus. Yeah. (laughs) If you want to try the Propolis or Bee Chill Hemp Honey or any of the other amazing products, you can receive 15% off your Beekeepers Naturals order by using the code COURAGEOUSWELLNESS, all one word, at checkout or visit beekeepersnaturals.com slash courageouswellness. And you can also find the direct link in our show notes. (music) 
Well, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I know us too. This is sort of the first sort of foray into some of the topics that we're going to discuss with you. Um, so let's get started. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So Dr. Bushnell, you have a PhD in, can you say specifically, it's in mythology? It is, okay. with an emphasis in psychology. Okay. So, Great. But yeah. most of your work is done in the childbirth process? Is that yeah, correct? I would say How would you the, define it? I mean, yes, and. I <laughs> yeah, mean, okay. it's, it's an and for mm-hmm. that. It's definitely about the childbirth era, the, the period of time from uh, conception through pregnancy to giving birth and then in the postpartum and then really for for me and we mentioned this a little bit Mm -hmm. when we were chatting earlier it's about the transformative process so it's about the transformation for me and so that work can really last and linger for Mm. quite a long time and so it isn't just isolated to those few months Mm -hmm. or that year yeah Um, and it impacts things like relationship and it impacts things like wellness and relationship mm. to self. Yeah. yeah. I would say that's one of the ones that as I, I listened to episodes and was thinking about the, our conversation, right. that was part of what was coming up mm. for me is like the wellness piece about how we relate to ourselves, mm. how we go through challenging experiences and hold ourselves in that. That's really kind of my focus. It just happens to be that childbirth is a time when people are aware Mm. that they're about to go through something big. Right. It's like (laughs) there's a there's a literal there's a human coming. Yes. Yeah. And so they're kind of in this place of excitement and intensity and anxiety and stress, and they go, "Wow, something big is about to happen. Mm -hmm. I'm about to be somebody different." Mm -hmm. And they're aware of that, and so they're. For my work, they're super ready. Yeah. 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 So, so I'm still in the field of childbirth. 19 years after giving birth to my oldest son, because not not because of childbirth, but because of the transformation. Yeah. That's what keeps me really engaged in this work is because people are so excited and interested and aware, and they keep coming to work with me from the place of something big's about to happen mm-hmm. and I know I need to be ready. Yeah. Right. And then I get to go, all right, this is a big transformation mm-hmm. in front yeah. of you. Let's talk about that. That's really cool. Yeah. So how, go ahead. <laughs> so how did you get into this field of work? Was it something that you knew you wanted to do from childhood? What like what brought you to this place in your life? That is a great question. There's a lot of different ways to look at it, but I have kind of referred to my, I'm a metaphor person, so I'm going to use a lot of them probably because they just come out and I don't even think about it, but I consider myself more of a gatherer than a hunter in how I've lived my life. Mm. Meaning I go, Ooh, this is interesting. Let me put that in my basket. I love that. Oh, let me put this in my basket. Mm -hmm. And I just keep gathering not knowing what I'm going to make mm. from the ingredients in my basket. Yeah. And here I am, I'm turning 50 this year yeah. and I'm kind of like, okay, what's in my basket? Mm. And I just keep making things from what's in the basket. Mm. What has drawn me, what has been interesting to me. And along the journey has been, I mean, I did attend my first, uh, 
labor was the labor of my oldest sibling, uh-huh. I, my youngest, my oldest youngest sibling. <laughs> Let me rephrase that because I wasn't at my sister's. Who's right. older than me. <laughs> Clearly, and uh, I was eight years old when my stepmom was laboring with my little brother, mm-hmm. and so that was sort of. I, but I didn't know that was my first experience mm-hmm. with labor. I mean, I knew it was my first experience. I didn't know it would lead to anything. Mm-hmm. Like childbirth would be the thing right. I would focus on. But that goes back, you yeah. know, 42 years. Yeah. And then uh, I did work in the field of yoga for mm-hmm. many years. Mm-hmm. I was a yoga teacher. I was general manager of Yoga Works back in the 90s, back mm-hmm. when it was like the spot where every yoga teacher that is now has graced the covers of yoga Mm -hmm. journal has pretty much taught, you know, taught there. So I've been involved in all of those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. And then when I was pregnant with my first son, uh, I became a prenatal yoga teacher, Mm -hmm. kind of moving and shifting into Mm -hmm. that department. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. But I also realized that parents were leaving class and coming back after they've given birth and be like, whoa, no, my, my labor was really intense. Mm. And I was like, yeah, labor is really intense. Right. There's a word, reason the word is labor. I this is why we call it labor and not like in, fun. Right? In part. But I realized it made me be self-reflective mm. and to say, hang on a second. I think in some ways I am communicating through my yoga classes that you're sh- you should be able to just... Your way Mm. through yoga. Uh I mean, through labor, like with a yoga breath. And that isn't usually all that it takes. Sometimes, but not usually. Mm. And so it made me be self-reflective and look and think, I need more. I need more education. I need more... And, and I need a different kind of understanding. And so that's when I went and found... Uh, I had read the book Birthing from Within when I was pregnant. I loved it. I went and took a training with its founder, Pam England. Mm-hmm. She became my mentor for many years, then my business partner, ultimately a friend. And so that path was kind yeah. of what happened. And from that, she she uses some mythology in how she supports parents Mm. as they go through the birth passage Mm. and I loved it Mm. that was probably my favorite part of what I got from my time uh with I mean my friendship with her of course but but that piece felt so powerful and when I finished working with the organization I decided I needed more of that Mm. and I've always loved mythology so I mean, sitting on the couch and reading fairy tales and myths, yeah. you know, curled up in my mom's arm, like that was part of my childhood. Yeah. And so I, I mean, it was an accidental thing that I actually ended up in a program for mythology because I thought I would use myth and get a counseling degree and work with people one on one. But while I was looking at programs for counseling, I found one in mythology, and I was like, oh no, that's way more my. Tr- that's yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's my path. Not I, not the counseling, especially as I was reading the course descriptions and it was saying things like reporting and da, da, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do that, uh, you know. So yeah. so then mythology really became my thing, and it was 
a six-year journey, mm. <laughs> a very long journey, but mm. it was well worth it. So you went back to do your PhD in mythology after becoming a mom? I did. Wow. That's incredible. I did. Yeah. Yes. My, my, let's see, I started and my youngest was seven. Wow. Okay. When I started the program. That's really cool. Yes. So courageous to take it was, that It was step. a big... Yeah, I know yeah. you've had other moms on on mm-hmm. your yeah. podcast, and it's it's intense. Yeah, to yeah. to parent and work, or parent and be in, in school, school. Yeah. or any of those things. Yeah. yeah, and so I had to find ways that took care of me. You know yeah. what I needed and what would help me and mm-hmm. support my wellness. Right. <laughs> Did you have a sense of when you were going back? in your studies and, and for your PhD, did you have a sense of how that work would then, you know, you're talking about the basket metaphor. Yeah. Did you have a sense of how it would all translate from like the yoga background and then your, your sort of new academic pursuits, how it would then translate into your kind of current work? I had inklings mm-hmm. and they weren't really what happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I had ideas of what I wanted to do and I, I actually started the program thinking it would be the launching off place to move away from childbirth. Mm. My kids were older. I was right. kind of like, how can I start doing more of this transformative work away from the field of childbirth? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my direction. And I, I went into the program believing that I would do anything. I would write my dissertation on any topic other than childbirth. Okay. And... And, and as best laid plans go, yes. and as we know in forms of transformation, yes. as well as in childbirth, sometimes things don't go as planned, Mm-mm. and often they don't. Yes. And so, of course, the thing that kept saying you have to write about me mm, right. was, was childbirth. Was childbirth. I, I saw that the, the title is yeah. of your dissertation, Forceps and Candles, Cultural Myths in American Childbirth. Yes. Oh, I, first of all, yeah, I love that title. Yeah, we're obsessed with that title. That, I was like... Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and right now I am actually under contract and writing a book that will be due out in January mm. of next year okay. that is based on that dissertation. Mm-hmm. Wow. But written instead of from the academic perspective, mm-hmm. it's taking my research and putting it in plain speak, mm. which is sort of how I operate, but I had to learn how to be an academic writer yeah. for grad right. school, and now I've had to unlearn how to be an academic writer. So that it's more accessible. To, yes. 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 So I'm in the editing and cover design process right now with my publisher, but it's very exciting, and it comes from that dissertation, and it's about, it's called Transformed by Birth, mm-hmm. Cultivating Openness, Resilience, and Strength for the Life-Changing Journey from pregnancy to parenthood. Wow. And so it's taking all of those cultural ideals that I talk about, the cultural myths that I talk about in the dissertation, and then explaining how we need to unpack those Mm. so that we can really ready ourselves for this transformation of becoming a parent. Wow. That's really interesting. You know, so Erica and I, neither of us have children, but we're both in our early 30s. I'm in my early 30s. You're 30. You can still <laughs> by 30. And, um, you know, it's something we talk about. But as I see girlfriends start to embark on motherhood, um, a couple sort of common things have come up. And, well, I have one friend who's a midwife. So she has, like, has always had such a different approach because she was so entrenched in it yeah. prior to being a mom. Um, but one thing that really comes up is, that 
that nobody really talks like is as close as we are to our closest mm-hmm. girlfriends. No one like tells you or other women in your life. I feel like don't actually tell you about the nitty gritty of the birthing experience. And I know that everybody's is slightly different, but like really tells you. And also the the biggest thing that comes up a lot is post-birth, mm-hmm. postpartum experience. Absolutely. Like none of my friends who, you know, were as prepared as they could potentially be for the, the process of delivery, um, were kind of given just sort of like basic clues into what happens with your body postpartum, what happens emotionally, what happens like all the things now that you have this child, right? It's like we prepare for birth, but what about right after? And that's like such a massive, you know, it's like why they call it the fourth trimester, but that's such a massive component of like the story that I don't feel like culturally we talk about. No, and I don't even think calling it the fourth trimester is widely discussed. Like that's something I've just recently heard when I've gotten into the wellness world. Not even, I don't, I think people are like, oh, the baby's here. Peace. That's kind of how I, as someone who's 30, thought of it. Now my friends are starting to have children and, but nobody does discuss this. Yeah. It's definitely part of of an issue that is happening. Mm -hmm. First of all, I have to make a plug for the book, The Fourth Trimester. Okay. That is by Kimberly Ann Johnson mm. that is truly fantastic mm. and really dives into the emotional, the physical, the social mm-hmm. elements yeah. of what's going on. It's starting to be talked about more, mm-hmm. but it is, mm-hmm. there is sort of this, and, and maybe it's the social media mm-hmm. era. Yeah. But there is this element of, I'm going to have a baby and then they're going to be an accessory mm-hmm. that's super cute. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like super cute. And I, I go through this intense thing called birth and, you know, labor and birth. And then on the other side, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that's pretty much fantasy. Yeah. yeah. And I like to say that we need to speak truth to fantasy. Yes. And it's tricky because... Many people don't want to hear it, mm-hmm. uh-huh. or it's considered horror stories, sharing horror stories. Right. Mm-hmm. And there is sort of an issue with also overly sharing horror stories. Yeah. Because just sharing horror stories for the purpose of, oh my God, I need to let you know, and yeah. you know, yeah. boom, I'm going to dump this thing on you, isn't actually supporting the person Mm -hmm. to figure it out for themselves in a way that will make the process of transformation easier, helpful, uh, um, understood in a way that is going to make it more of a valuable experience. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it's a dicey game because there's a lot of this, don't listen to horror stories and don't, which a part of me really agrees with that. I don't want a whole lot of just, I'm going to dump my horror story baggage Mm -hmm. on you right now. You know, it's like, no, but we need to be talking about that transformative experience that involves an element of letting go of our former self. Mm -hmm. And that isn't always tidy Mm -hmm. or in control. You know, one of the ideals that I address is the illusion of control and certainty. Mm. The idea that it will be tidy. Like if I, if I just do this, 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 and this, I can control it. Or I will understand and be certain of how these events will happen. Parenthood 
folks, let me just tell you, <laughs> is anything but controlled and certain. Yeah. yeah. And the next ideal I deal with is information and technology. The belief that information will save us. Mm. Like if we just, and I overheard in one of the episodes I listened to of you talking about how all this information about wellness, yeah. right. can you can start using it against yourself Absolutely. in a way that's not helpful. And that's true as well in, in the birth world and mm. in early parenthood. It's like, I need more information. I need more information. Information will save me. Mm-hmm. Actually, sometimes we need to gather information and then we need to pause yeah. Yeah. and just say, what works for me? Right. Is that where instinct comes in, would you say? Like, how do you, if you're working with someone, how do you, I I think there's a lot of, at least even I've spoken to young women who maybe are in the beginning stages of motherhood or haven't yet been there or chosen that path, um, and maybe want to, but there's a lot of fear that like, if I do this, I'm going to mess up my kid this way or this, you know, and it's like, that's all so based on our own experiences too. So like, how do you, you know, people have been having children since the beginning of time, <laughs> since the beginning of people, Right. how do you create a balance between the idea of like knowing your own instinct and how, and how to like care for a child versus information? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of different things. And one of the things that I often recommend is what I call inserting a pause, like Mm. insert the pause, like just notice, bring awareness to the impulse Mm. to track down uh, a bunch of information to go Mm -hmm. down a Google rabbit hole. Mm. Right. I mean, how often is that something that, that shows up? You know, how often at at dinner tables does somebody say, I wonder and everybody pulls out their phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, let me f- figure that out for you. Yes. I think we need to actually insert the pause that says, hang on. Let's just sit in wonder mm-hmm. for a minute. We need to expand our comfort level with being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and being in uncertainty. Mm. And from that place, once we kind of pause and sit with, uncertainty sit with the mystery uh-huh. it's like that's what this is yeah it's mystery then say okay what do I need to know about this that I don't already know mm. when we ask that question of ourselves what we then go seek mm-hmm. will be better attuned to what it is we need mm. if we just go on a blank search chances of ending up in a rabbit hole that is not helpful is pretty high because once we ask what is it I need to know mm-hmm. then we the next question is where would be the best place to help me get this information mm. and that is sometimes a friend mm-hmm. a parent right a specialist Sometimes it's, it's an internet search. Being in that place of checking in first with what it is we need to know. Yes. You know, so it's, it's sort of multi-stepped, but it's first pausing. Mm-hmm. First inserting a pause before action. I mean, it's mindfulness, if you want to call it that, you know, self-meditation, self-reflection. It's just pause. Mm-hmm. When you feel that knee-jerk reaction to do something, mm-hmm. even pick up the phone and answer the wonder question. It's just, okay, pause. Then what do I need to know about this? Then where is the best place for me to go to find this information? And then the final step is, okay, now that I know this, 
how do I feel and what, what feels right to me. Mm-hmm. So it starts with the self and it ends with the self, right? But you can fill in information from others and from other sources in the middle, but you, you have to bookend it with, with yourself and mm-hmm. how, how it feels. So instinct is not usually the word that I use mm-hmm. because instinct implies that the knowledge already exists mm-hmm. within you. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's very often the case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes we just have a good instinct or what right. I would call an impulse. Yeah. Right. But instinct kind of gives it the idea of the animal instinct, right? right? That they just do whatever that yeah. instinct says. I think as, as thinking modern people, we, we don't have access to those instincts in the same kind of way. Mm-hmm. I think we can develop a yeah. better ability to sense them, but we have to in we have to create a practice in yeah. order to be able to notice that. Right, to be in otherwise, tune with that. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, we can very easily mistake an instinct by uh, uh, an impulse that is culturally driven and think it's an an instinct. Mm. Like confusing those two things. Yeah, are or easy conflating to do. them and yeah. just being like, yeah. "Oh, this is." Oh, my instinct says when in fact it's just what the culture has been dumping it's into noise. or it's noise. Yeah. And and I think too, this is so yes, like we're talking about childbirth and but this is just practical life advice for yeah. anything, right? And I think like you said, we only start to look at transitions when it's it's a clear transition, right? Like, oh, a baby is coming something is going to change, but transitions right. happen yeah. in all phases of life, Absolutely. Every, you know, every day from small to large. And we don't, I think, take the quality of time to really deal yeah. and process it. Parents almost universally, when they've taken my, my in-person childbirth class, yeah. we end with kind of a sharing circle talking and just kind of reflecting on our time together. And one of the things that so many say is, wow, I thought this was a childbirth class, but this was like life preparation. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, like I said, I'm still doing the work, not because I'm super like, oh my God, childbirth is my everything, but yeah. because transformation is my everything. Yeah. Right. And it, this gives me a vehicle. Right. And that's like, it's like that key moment of transformation. Like you said, people are aware of that's going to happen in their life, whether it's for the person, the woman actually delivering or the partner who's supporting, like it's going to be a massive sort of shift in lifestyle, um, which I think people anticipate, but we and, do. And if they're in a relationship, the relationship, right. yeah. which is its own entity. Yeah. So can you speak to that a little yeah. bit? Because, you know, we've, we've spoken with people who are partners in the context of business on this, both romantic and, and business partners, um, and different, different sort of partnerships in looking at it in that way. But can you give us a little bit of an observation or maybe just a series of observations that you've made through your practice over the years? What, what is something that is common in the transition for a relationship that is going to bring in another person into the or go through any sort of monumental change right because couples someone could lose a job someone could and I'm sure this happens too sometimes while you're about while you're a kid your home is it gonna like everything I think relationships constantly endure change and it, it can be hard to navigate which is why the divorce rate is so high and it's just it's it's very challenging. Yes. I mean, I think relationships are a place where we both feel 
most ourselves Mm -hmm. and when there is stress, I mean, hopefully we feel most ourselves, but when there is stress in either person's life, we often dump it on the person Mm -hmm. closest to us. Right. And so that's one piece that's, that's tricky. And so when, when they're, when a couple is undergoing a lot of stress, uh, in things going on outside of in their lives, whether it's happening to both partners or just one or the other, Mm -hmm. we often bring it back to our relationship. Yeah. Right. And some of that is because it feels safe. Some of it is because we're just around them. Right. So, you know, there's lots of different reasons. And and then the relationship has stress and and having to deal with that. Um, with with regards to specifically new parenthood, there's the added piece where there is a new entity within your relationship mm-hmm. that you go from this connection as a couple to something called a family mm-hmm. and that's a big shift mm-hmm. and the the love and attention often goes away from the relationship and toward the baby mm. or babies if there's right. multiples and that piece can be kind of a hey yeah like what about, what about me, me? <laughs> yeah. absolutely it's a what about me thing yeah but that can also show up at different times when, to, to what your point was, um, when, when careers are taking off mm-hmm. yeah. or a shift in a career focus where suddenly it's like, a, hey, you know, what about me? Um, my husband and I are going through our own version of that. I and mean, we've been together over 25 years, mm. so we have some longevity in our, in our tank. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> we've got that. Um, and my career is shifting mm-hmm. and moving into a, a bigger phase. And his career is sort of like settled. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's spent years developing his career. Right. And so he's kind of like, let's go play. And I'm like, let's go work. Right. And so we're having our own dance mm-hmm. of how to navigate that and how do we each get our needs met mm-hmm. and keep returning to each other mm. yeah. and bringing, bringing it back. Now for us, we, part of one of our our vows was that we would support each other's spiritual journeys mm. on this earth. I mean, it was one of our wedding vows. And so we, we keep coming back to that place of, okay, what, what does it mean to support your journey? What does it mean to be supported in my journey? Right. How do we navigate that? And so mm. we keep coming back to that. But it is, again, it's a practice speaking again to sort of those expectations that people have, I think mm-hmm. that there is a little bit of an expectation that if you find the right person, mm, yeah, it'll be easy. Right. <laughs> and it's never it's easy. Not, it's never easy. not the case. Yeah. We actually need to expand our ideas, you know, that pop those bubbles of fantasy yeah. that are just not speaking truth. Mm-hmm. That That is not a truthful statement. Right. Relationship is going to shift. It's going to evolve. It's going to change and it's going to be challenged. Yeah. yeah. Regardless mm-hmm. of how perfect this person is for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and we're all human beings with all of our own stuff, you know, and we talk about it. We both practice Buddhism, which we reference sometimes. It's how we know each other. But the idea of, 
and however you want to define it, it's like the idea of like, you have your karma, I have my karma. The way it sort of interacts with each other is part of our spiritual journey and development. But like, there's going to be that interaction because we don't live in isolated bubbles. You know, it's, it's about interaction with, yeah. with the material world. Absolutely. And so how, like you said, how do you help couples and coach them on, I need to get my needs met, you need to get your needs met, but somehow we have to come back together. You know, what is your technique to work with couples on that? There's a few different things. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of them is that I always like to talk about the relationship as its own entity. Mm -hmm. That's a Mm -hmm. key piece. Mm -hmm. So there's me, there's you, and there's the relationship. Mm -hmm. And we need to be looking at the needs of an individual, the needs of the other individual, and the needs of the relationship. So even just starting with that is helpful Mm -hmm. because people can kind of be in that like me, 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 back and forth in the no. And we have to say, well, what does the relationship need to thrive? Yeah. What does that need? You know, what does the relationship itself? Sometimes what the relationship is asking for or calling for or screaming for Mm -hmm. is against what either individual wants. Hmm. Interesting. Right. And so we have to be able to tune our awareness to, okay, I want to pay attention and take care of this because it matters to me. Mm. And if it matters to me, I need to be willing at times to say, okay, well, that's what I want, but what the relationship wants is counter to that. So damn, what do I do? Yeah. And finding ways through that. The next thing I would say to answer your question is is really developing solid communication skills. And I I have used a practice that has has been very, very helpful for me that my husband and I learned before we were married, that we've used with our children, that the schools they go to use, Mm -hmm. that are used in a lot of healing professions, um, and originate from a Native American, as well as many cultures actually, Mm -hmm. and through the world, which is talking circle. Mm. Mm. And holding the boundary of the person who has the talking piece is the one that is speaking, and some other, there's some nuances to the practice. And that has been tremendous for me and for the couples that I work with, Mm. that instilling and teaching that practice so Mm -hmm. that they're able to use it in their own relationship because one of the things that can happen that you might, both might already know about is how easily relationship conversations can escalate. Right. And yeah. like, all of a sudden it doesn't become about what you started talking about. No. Right. I mean, they, there's just a way that because this person is the person you're with a lot mm-hmm. and, yeah. and you share so much and that means that you're with them when you're in a good mood, you're with them when you're in a bad mood, mm-hmm. you're with them when you're in a really rotten mood. Yeah. yeah. That means that the fire of, of, you know, the pouring, putting a spark on the gasoline can happen at any moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And so being able to have a tool, something that creates boundaries Mm. that can help keep the escalation from going skyrocketing. So even if something happens in a moment and suddenly you're like, wow, I didn't realize that this conversation was going to be a spark. Mm -hmm. Like I thought it was a total totally calm conversation, but clearly there's a trigger here I will say, okay, you know what? Hang on. Let's revisit this in this format Mm. at another time. Like pausing it 
and and then setting up I'm I'm a mythologist but I'm also really a ritualist mm, and okay. so I believe strongly in relationship rituals mm. as part of the foundation and this communication ritual is that yeah and just by even setting it up in a ritualistic way helps to say this matters and I'm bringing something to it that's unique yeah and I'm being held by the container of the ritual rather than having to be like I have to contain myself because you know it's like yeah this the rules of it right help hold it so I guess in that sense and whether it's with a partner or any sort of relationship I guess it could work for you have to have two or more willing participants so it's not so much about like the fantasy of finding the right person maybe like what I'm sort of getting from this it's also like finding a willing person to sort of agree to the rituals or agree to the rules of the boundaries that you set for the family, for the school, for the partnership, whatever that may be. Yeah. I think that, I mean, for me, and it's different for other people, Mm -hmm. but one of the most important elements for me in finding my partner was the desire to find somebody who had an interest, a deep, deep personal interest in growth. Mm -hmm. That, because I knew that, that if I was going to be with this person long term, we were going to both change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guess what? We have. Right. It's been 20, more than 25 years now. Mm-hmm. And lots has happened and a lot has yeah. changed. And we've been faced with challenges that are, you know, little 24-year-old Britta had no yeah. idea. Right. You know. Um, and... I knew that I wanted somebody who said, yeah, but growth is important. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm willing to grow with you. Yeah. Right. Even if we're on different paths, I want to know that we're both in a process of growth. Mm. And so, yeah. Now, sometimes I'll work with couples just in private. Yeah. And I'll help hold that container Mm -hmm. so that they can practice that. I mean, I don't do therapy, but I'll do like relationship coaching where Mm -hmm. I'll kind of teach them tools they can take back and use themselves. Yeah. No, this is so important because, you know, I've, I've been married now for, it'll be four years this Mm -hmm. year, but I, I've met my husband when I was 23. So we've been together like seven and a half years and you know, it's not the most romantic notion, right? To be like, it's going to take work. And I love him more than anything in this world. But like you just said, who I am at, who I was at 23 is not who I am at 30 and will not be who I am at 50. Mm -hmm. And so it is like just in seven and a half years, I've learned the importance of exactly what you're saying, growing together. And it isn't, it's not, I think when you want to fall in love and you're looking for a partner, you and I'm sure, like you said, like this fantasy of what childbirth is going to be and your birthing plan and what your marriage is, it's not, it's not unromantic. It's just not fantasy. And I think that that can be sometimes hard to, to kind of make peace with because we're raised, especially as young women and especially like as millennial young women, say, like I, I think generation. it's really changing for the post millennials and it'll continue to transform. I know my friends with kids are very aware of this, but we grew up with fairy tales. We grew up, like you were saying in the beginning, we grew up with fairy tales and princesses. And and it's hard sometimes to rectify that life isn't a fairy tale. Actually, Allie, you told me, um, you know, like life isn't a dress rehearsal too. Mm-hmm. Like all of this stuff, because 
especially us, we were raised with I felt fantasy. that way in my 20s. I felt that it was like, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't feel like it was real life. And then all of a sudden you realize, like, years can go by. You're like, no, this is actually my life. Yeah. And so the choices that I make are important as far as, like, creating the kind of life that I'd like. Um, but I feel like it took a decade to figure that out. And, and it'll probably keep evolving. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we are on a path of continuing to change. Yeah. Right. That's, and that's that, something now that I expect, which I didn't know. You know, it's like, I feel like I remember this idea of growing up where like, when I'm this age, I'm going to, I'm going to be. When I grow up. When I grow up, it's going to be great. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't think about things like when you're a kid, you don't even think about things like bills and responsibility <laughs> and like all this unfun stuff Absolutely. about adulthood. I'm almost 50 yeah. and I had an experience where I had to get a lawyer this year yeah. to help me with some of my book contract uh-huh. and I was like ooh like I have somebody I call my lawyer. Right. right. Like, <laughs> like when did that happen? Like, yeah. Like grown-ups hire attorneys. Exactly. <laughs> grown-ups hire attorneys. Like how, how is it that I have somebody I refer to as my lawyer? Right. Yeah. Who like <laughs> actually also bills. Like, yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's a whole thing. So I kind funny. of, it's like, wow, when did that happen? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. And these, and, and speaking to this, I mean, this is all of that like fantasy building mm-hmm. that we were talking about earlier. And I just want to come back to what you yeah. were saying about uh, growing up with the fairy tales. Yeah. Part of it is we're growing up with some of the wrong fairy tales. Yeah. We're growing up with sanitized fairy mm. tales. We're growing up with fairy tales that always have a happy ending mm-hmm. or that always, you know, end and then they don't talk about what, what happens, happens after. Next. Yes. Yes. And we, it's the you know, the fantasy movie versions mm-hmm. of... I literally just got goosebumps mm-hmm. when you're talking about this. Uh, fairy tales, yeah, because... It's cause a theater really, nerd. <laughs> a lot of A lot of fairy tales are kind of dark. dark. Yeah. yeah, very dark. And those, there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Even I mean, the Disney ones. Yeah, Some although of them. They, they always pop out at the end with, well, well, you know... Well, <laughs> but it, historically, right, like the Little Mermaid was like a really dark... Oh. All, the, all the original, yeah, like the original, original stories, stories that yes. got transformed into happily ever after. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Yes, yes. is yes. I'm like, I often sometimes refer to it as Disneyified, <laughs> yes. you know, fairy tales yeah. because they do have this. Because we don't want to scare kids, yeah, right. right. But in this overly, um, in this desire to overly protect kids from dark forces, mm-hmm. from from intensity. Mm-hmm. We've we've created sort of the bubble pack mm-hmm. way of growing up, yeah. and so we don't have the ability as uh, as innately built in yeah. to deal with challenge. Yeah, and, and our own dark stuff for sure. Do you and know what I mean? Like that, like you feel like something's wrong. This is so interesting. Now I see how relevant myth is and the work so that you relevant. do. I'm like, Whoa. yeah, light bulbs, light bulbs. But like, not facing. You know, when you have dark stuff come up within you, which every human is going to deal with at some point in their life, or or if they don't deal with it, it just gets worse and worse and worse, but that that's a normal part of yes. being a human being yeah. and not something's wrong with you. Exactly. And this is one of the cultural myths that I deal with in my book is about sort of the quest for perfection. Mm-hmm. Is the idea of eliminating challenge, mm-hmm. eliminating dark moments yeah 
when in fact what we really need to be doing is developing our capacity to be tender with ourselves mm. in the midst of the moments right. of breakdown, in the midst of uh, hardship. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm right in the middle, as, as I shared with you earlier, of moving for the first time in 20 years. Yeah. And my idea, my, my, uh, what I decided to share, to tell myself during this very intense time is not hold your shit together or right. do this or do that. It was like, I didn't want to give myself unattainable expectations. Yeah. I didn't want to try and positive think my way through this life challenging experience. Mm-hmm. It's a challenging mm-hmm. time. Yes. I'm saying goodbye to the place that is woven into every memory of my yeah. children's upbringing. Right. You know, I've been there through their whole lives. Instead, I said to myself, I want to be tender with myself in the hard moments. Mm -hmm. I want to be tender with myself when I'm angry. I want to be, give myself more permission to have lots of experiences, even at the same time. That's Uh that's another one of the things is is this duality culture where we're either supposed to be happy or we're we're sad, but we can't actually be both at the same time. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like how many times have you been like crying and then laughing and crying? (laughs) Well, that's so, I think it's what I, that's me like all the time. Like you, in one day you could have so many emotions and it's so confusing because I'm not an unhappy person. I'm a very happy person, but I feel sad frequently right but it's it's confusing we're like oh but I'm not actually I'm not overall sad but I'm having sad moments right and and it's okay yeah yeah exactly it's okay and it doesn't mean something's wrong with you or that you're doing something wrong or that yeah. you know even that the situation itself needs to change right like to live in that discomfort that you were talking about before or that well, well you didn't say discomfort you said uncertainty well, yeah. Transition. Yeah. yeah, like absolutely. I found for myself when I am feeling those moments of sadness, it's always in a time of transition, even if it's not something yeah, as big as childbirth. Yeah, yeah, it's like right? my life, even if it's changing for the good, right? My life, like you said, like a move is a positive, beautiful thing. You know, a career, a new career is a positive, beautiful yeah. thing. But it's change and it's scary and it's transitional. It's transitional, it's transformational. Yeah. Yeah. And often if you look at like alchemy, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of turning sort of a base substance into gold. Yes. Right. What has what what did the old alchemists do to try and make it gold? Mm-hmm. They exerted pressure yep. and turned up the heat. Yeah. Transformation is an alchemical process yes. where there is often pressure and heat yes and we can sometimes create on the other side some like wow there's some gold from this experience yeah yeah but if we're just like be happy be happy be happy you know keep going yay positive put a positive spin on everything it's like well no sometimes we actually need to get in there and get pressurized and heated and some and often that doesn't feel good no and I think it is because again back to this like watered down version of fantasy we're trained to be like why am I not always feeling this happy way or things are good why do I feel off even though it's like oh because things are changing so how do you use I know we're talking about it now but how do you specifically use like mythology and these themes when coaching couples and who are having childbirth or not or individuals that Mm -hmm. you work with as well because it's not always couples who have babies right too it's just individuals individuals (laughs) um 
I, I, first of all, I love using myth mm-hmm. and, and fairy tales, and I use different ones for different mm-hmm. purposes. Um, some are very long, mm-hmm. you know, like we could spend the entire <laughs> podcast with me just yeah. telling you stories. Love it. Um, I did a, a circle for a women's circle a couple of years ago where I went through and used some of the stories in the the book that I think should be like required reading mm. for most people and definitely for women uh-huh. is the women who run with the wolves. Okay. Mm. Yeah. This has come up for me like four times this year already. It means you have to read it. Yeah, I'm (laughs) just saying it's really good. Mm -hmm. And she takes, the the author, Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, takes fairy tales that are not beautified and Mm -hmm. Disneyified and, you know, made simple and and looks at how those are really transformative. Mm -hmm. That how using the mythology to help you look at yourself and the fairy tales to look at yourself in that place of what's this transformation? What is this element? How can I look at this? And so I'll pull some of those. I'll pull some different myths mm-hmm. um, from from a couple of different places. And the thing about using fairy tale and myth is that they're ar- they're archetypal stories, great right. stories, right? So they're not stories like me telling you my birth story. Mm-hmm. Okay, stories. I have a couple of them. Um, it's not specific. So by it being more general, being more archetypal, more people can see themselves within it. Mm-hmm. It's not identified as my story. Mm-hmm. So by sharing a story, it can be like, okay, so let's talk about this journey that this goddess took. Uh-huh. And then as it it filters in and story has a way of locking into the Mm -hmm. brain in a way that facts do not. Mm -hmm. And so that means when you're in a moment and you're like, whoa, so this is like Mm -hmm. your brain can, it's like creating scaffolding Mm -hmm. for your life. Stories have a wonderful way of being like skeletal or scaffolding. Mm-hmm. And then your life is like putting on the muscle uh-huh. or the detail to the scaffolding. Mm. And that, it, it's like, oh, this makes sense. Mm. Right. Even if it's hard, even right. if it's challenging. Oh, I'm stripping this part away from me right now. Mm. And so I'll use different stories to create that and to access that part that's deeper. Mm. Mm. So that when a moment happens, there's scaffolding mm. to attach. Right. Yeah. And that that experience. That's that relation. Yeah. That you you can relate. So yeah. You can see yourself in there. Yeah, you can see yourself, and then it doesn't feel as personal. Right. Like, and with with couples, that's really helpful. I mean, individuals and couples, but to be like, oh, this isn't just personal. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah. What are some tips that you have for anyone listening, whether they're you know, pregnant and going to have a child in a relationship or even single to take care of themselves and work through these transitions. I know that's like simplifying everything we're talking about because <laughs> yeah. it's not simple Put it together all. in a tip. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for anybody listening who might not have access to a coach or um, doesn't have the funds or the means or just doesn't know what to do, but they're listening and, and ourselves included, yeah. <laughs> I would love some tips. What yeah. are some tips, you know, um, is there anything that you suggest people start with 
if they're about to experience or experiencing a transition. Yeah. Well, going back to some of what I was talking about earlier is to expand your comfort with discomfort. Yeah. Uh Expand your ability to rest in uncertainty. Yeah. That, that piece is so important in life. It's, I mean, it's, you both have a, a Buddhist practice, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it comes in there. Mm-hmm. It, it comes, it's the wisdom traditions throughout the world in some way are, are working with that. Yeah. Like how do you sit in uncertainty? How do you sit in wonder? How do you sit in, in not knowing how things will go? Yeah. And life transitions of all sorts mm-hmm. deliver up unexpected events. Yeah. Yeah. And it's how do you become not focusing on how do I not fall down? Yeah. But how do I be okay if I fall down? And what will help me start to get myself back up? Mm. That's, I mean, that's so practical because it's like, even I feel like birth, you can apply everything you've just talked about for situations with death too, Mm -hmm. right? Like just these, these aspects of life or illness or children leaving the nest, right? Like all these sort of things that are unavoidable, you know, the only constant in our lives is that there's no constant, it's right? It's change. Yeah, it's the only constant. And I, you know, it's funny because I can really, in my own childhood, I had so much change. When, and when you're a kid, you just feel, you don't actually have any control, right? In the sense of like, where are you going to live or where are you going to be, you know? And it was just non-stop for me and I remember this feeling of like that again when I grow up I'm gonna have one house for the rest of my life and of course the reality is I've created continuous change in my adult life too so like create you know continue those patterns in in some sense but have become much more at ease with it and in a way I'm sort of grateful for as hard as it was, grateful for my ability yeah. to adapt, which I learned as a kid. But, um, you know, it's it's truly like all phases of life. Mm-hmm. Sitting in the unknown is the hardest thing because with, like you said, with all the information we and have. And with social media and, and our, our phones. fingertips mm-hmm. at any yes. given moment of the day. We can distract ourselves. And we feel all like the time. We, we should know. And access. Right? Like we mm-hmm. feel like we should know. Right. And that... But, like, it's okay not to know. And yeah. even, like, 15, 20 years ago, we were way more okay with not knowing because there was nothing to compare it to. Yeah. And now it's like, we'll look it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's just look Nobody it up. says, you know, God, what year was that concert that, right. you know, we saw? Remember going to that concert right. of so-and-so? Where was that? And yeah. what year was that? Oh, we look it up. Yeah. You can Instead figure it out. Instead of just sitting with the memory. And just being in that, Yeah. It's in like that, we, that somehow makes it more real and or or valuable yeah. in some yeah. way, which in fact just being in that mystery and the memory can just be what it's meant to be. Yeah, and and that's it's tricky. Yeah, you know it's what? tricky, but we're and we're losing some of that, and it's I think it's one of the reasons that new parenthood has become so hard. Yeah, mm. uh, I, yeah, and yeah. I mean new parenthood was hard when I was a new parent, and I didn't have access to information like new parents and comparison do today. And yeah comparison. i can't like it's it's really gotten challenging yeah. for new parents to just be in that place with themselves yes. yeah. and with their kids and the desire to get it right yeah, yeah. as if 
getting it right is a single thing you can locate. Yeah. Right. And it isn't. Right. It isn't. And no. I can tell you, I have one kid in college and one uh, 16 driving, you know, in high school. And there's no getting it right. Yeah. It's like it's a constant evolution. It's if you have a growth mindset, it's like parenting is a growing process. Yeah. How do you as a parent and as a professional in what you do, um, deal with, like, I think sometimes about the fear that probably comes along with parenthood because you love these other beings so much and like they have to become self-sufficient and independent and go out in the world. And that's like the purpose, right? And you want that for them. But at the same time, you're like, you know, you don't have control over like when your 16 year old starts driving the other drivers on the road or things like that. So how do you, for yourself, like sit in that uncertainty mm-hmm. without having it be debilitating. Well, I mean, for one thing, I'm so grateful for my work with mm-hmm. birth and transformation because I use it all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't given birth in 16 years. Yeah. So yeah. Almost 17. And it's for me. There's again, we've we've sort of vilified fear. Yeah. And I don't think there's a problem with being afraid. afraid. Mm. Yeah. I think that fear is sometimes telling us something. You know, fear is built into our our systems so that we know to take care of something. Mm. And so I don't vilify it like I need to be fearless. Mm. I think being fearless is like aiming for perfection. Mm-hmm. It's like they're both illusions. Yeah. I think instead it's how can I be tender and make space for my fear mm-hmm. and be okay with that? And what does my fear need from me? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. when yeah. my kid takes off and, you know, I, I live up in a mountain canyon and, and there's some tricky roads right. for them to yeah. drive on. And how do I navigate that? I, I say, okay, what do I need to take care of my fear right now? Mm. And I need to say to him every single time he leaves the house, drive carefully. Right. <laughs> that's just part of my, my departure ritual mm-hmm. with him. Right. And, and that's okay. Yeah. I don't need to be fearless about him right. driving. I'm allowed to express my concern. I'm, I'm allowed to, to say, call me when you get to so-and-so, such-and-such right. place. Um, I guess it yeah. goes back to ritual, which you were talking yeah. about. Building that ritual is sort of, there's like sort of comfort in the practice of things. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. it's ritual. And I also really, for me, hold the belief that, that life is a growth process mm-hmm. and that my process as a parent of a freshman in college and a high school student is to develop more comfort in them being independent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is the new transition. Yes, this is yeah, my new next... my new birth process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. Rather than how do I keep control of them right it's how do I become more comfortable having less mm. you know that's my process yeah that's nothing that's not their responsibility no. it's right. not my college student who's enjoying college yeah. it's not his responsibility to make sure I'm comfortable right mm-hmm. you know it's my responsibility to expand my capacity to allow him to stretch his wings yeah. and fly that's, that's my job. That's pretty awesome. That's so awesome. And I think if we, I think the work you're doing, and I think this is the way we should be living, right? Because honestly, everything you're saying is so revolutionary because 
we're, we're not totally feels revolutionary but it's almost time, like in so many ways right as a society we've gone so far away from ancient like even like food practices and different things like just so much of what what has you know it's it's a totally longer different conversation right. but it is it's revolutionary and ancient at the same time but we're not taught this and how beautiful would it be if we were taught it from a young age yeah yeah Yeah, and I think that like when I work with parents, there is this idea that as soon as they have a baby, they're supposed to know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like they're supposed to pop out of new parenthood, fully formed in their ability to parent. Perfectly. Yeah, (laughs) perfectly. And, And social media ready. Yeah. Right? When in fact... When you first have your first baby, you're only as old as that baby is. Mm-hmm. It's like an hour old baby, an hour old parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and so cool. I see myself as a 19 year old parent. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to be a 30 year old parent mm-hmm. yet right. because I haven't gotten there. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not my job to know how I'll be when my kids start having babies of their own, if they go that path mm-hmm. or yeah. how I'll navigate that piece. My job is to figure out right now mm-hmm. and to know that my, my purpose here is to keep growing my capacity to handle whatever new situation is coming or yeah. transition. I mean, yeah. that's, I'm, I'm all about the transition and yeah. the transformation. And, and so. even like you said, that's just a great way to live your life. You know, yeah. like I'm 30 years old. I'm not 40, 50 years old. I don't have to figure out tomorrow or next week or the next five years exactly. of my life. I just have to figure yeah. out life for a 30 year old at this moment, today. you yeah. know, today. So as we wrap up, we always ask our guests and you've touched on this along the way, but is there anything, any book, any podcast, any music, anything that's been inspirational to you along your journey or that's inspiring you right now that you would recommend? Yes. I mean, I I (laughs) have have already touched on this a little bit, but The Women Who Run With The Wolves is my personal book that is like my, you should see my copy. It's tagged, it's written (laughs) in, it's crinkled. I'm downloading it after this. It's really... My paper version is has got a lot in it, mm-hmm. but that's really my spiritual guidebook yeah. for certain, you know, in some ways. I mean, I have lots. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm an academic. I have a lot of books. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, I hard, to, it's, hard, it's hard to ask this of like <laughs> yeah, certain people. Like, and then in the postpartum journey, I, I had mentioned mm-hmm. that The Fourth Trimester by right. Kimberly and Johnson is just a must read. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a book coming out in January, so yes. hopefully that'll be you know yes. a good one for people. Um, and then I also my my own personal work. I really like doing embodied practice. Mm. And one of my teachers is uh, Michaela Boehm up in Ojai, and she just came out with a book called The Wild Woman's Way, mm. and it's fantastic. I'm okay. working with her in person and meeting the other people that I have met through through the workshops mm-hmm. in her space have become like my my sisters of my heart. Mm. Um, and so doing doing her work and doing uh, reading her book has been another thing that just supports that. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's so many. There's so yeah, many. No, there's that's so perfect. many. But let me just Three stop with that. So perfect. So uh, where can anybody find you who's interested in the work that you're doing or who would like to buy your book when it's available for purchase? Find you on the internet. Yes, all those good all things. things. Well, my website is brittabushnell.com. Mm-hmm. Super easy in regards to that. Yeah. Uh, Britta with two T's okay. as opposed to the water filter. <laughs> yes. one. Um, and then my uh, 
social media handles mm -hmm. are Britta Bushnell PhD. Okay, perfect. So right. that's on Instagram and Facebook, and Wonderful. I yeah, and I have a newsletter that I send out that speaks to some of these things that we've already talked about as well. Oh, wow. and that can be signed up for on my website. Okay, great, and we'll link it in our show notes. Yeah, as well. So thank, thank you so you much for joining us. Thank you for being thank here. Thank you so thank much. You. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.